Good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. We're continuing our message series called Worship, Giving God Our Best. And I want to start out this morning by telling you a little story about a man named Frank McGraw Jr. Um, that was his given name, but most people called him Tug. Now, Tug was quite the baseball pitcher. Uh, he won two World Series with the uh, New York Mets back in 69 and in 80, and he was one of the best closing pitchers in the history of the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, he is in the New York Mets Hall of Fame, and he is on the Phillies Wall of Fame. Um, Tug was also very comfortable in front of the camera. In the 80s and 90s, he was a sports anchor, and he was a reporter, and he even appeared as himself in an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond back in 1999. Um, he might still be on television as a game announcer uh, today if he had not been diagnosed with a glioblastoma brain tumor in 2003. Uh, he was only 58 at the time. And they told him that he would have three weeks to live. He ended up living nine months. So rewind the clock. Uh, back in 1966, when Tug was playing for Jacksonville, uh, he had a very brief relationship with a gal named Betty D'Agostino. In his biography, Tug said that he and Betty had only been together once and that she immediately broke off contact with him and then left for Louisiana to live with her relatives. Well, come to find out, uh, Betty was pregnant, but she never told her son about her, his famous father uh, mostly because she just wanted to move on with her life. But her son, his name is Tim, eventually found his birth certificate and made a shocking discovery. He discovered that his favorite baseball player was also his father. And so Tim ended up changing his name from Tim Trimble to Tim McGraw. Tim found Tug when he was an older teenager, uh, but when they met, like, there was nothing there. Like, there were no warm feelings. There was no connection. And then later, as an adult, Tim tried to connect with his dad again, and this time, they connected. They became close, and when Tug's diagnosis came, they grew even closer. And in the end, Tug McGraw died at Tim McGraw's home in Nashville. And that next year, in 2004, Tim wrote a song called Live Like You Were Dying, uh, which stayed on the top of the charts for 10 weeks and was named the top country song of the year by Billboard magazine. The song tells the story of a man who gets the news of his father dying and his father, of course, tells his son that he needs to live like he was dying. So my question is this. Would it make a difference in how you lived your life today 
if you learn that you were dying? If you learn that you just had a short time left on the earth, would it change your priorities? I came across a list compiled by hospice workers of some of the most common regrets that people have at the end of their lives. Um, the most common regrets were these three. Uh, one, they wish they had enjoyed more of life's pleasures. They wish they had spent more time with loved ones. And they wish they had told the people they loved more often that they loved them. The truth is that we're all running out of time. Like none of us know how long we have left. And the two questions I want us to consider this morning are this. What is most important in life? And what legacy do we want to leave behind? So in our scripture this morning, a teacher of religious law asks Jesus a question along these same lines. Let me read it again to you. It's Mark 12, 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So we don't know this guy's circumstances, but we do know that like, he's wrestling with like, ultimate issues. Like, what is most important in life? This man heard Jesus debating the leading priests and the teachers of the law, and he approached the group and asked a question that went straight to the heart of the matter. He said, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus told him to love God and love the people that God puts around you. So before he says that, though, Jesus actually quotes the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. In Hebrew, uh, and I practice this, hopefully I get it right, it's this. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta, et Adonai Elohecha, Bechol Levavcha, and in English it is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is such an important scripture to the Jews uh, that it is the first scripture a Jewish child will memorize. The words are treasured so much that they're written on small scrolls and they're rolled up and they're inserted into like a small container called a mezuzah uh, and then they place those on the doorways of Jewish homes. So this question of what, what is most important in life? What is the most important commandment? 
Um, all of Israel knew this truth, right? But knowing it is one thing, doing it is another. But Jesus modeled this perfectly. He loved God completely. Um, he wasn't interested in power. He wasn't interested in wealth or popularity. Right? He loved God, and he wanted to fulfill God's purpose for him in his life here on this earth. He depended on God through prayer. He depended on God through the scriptures. And then he fulfilled his purpose here on the earth, even at the cost of his own life. And that legacy, we're talking about legacy this morning, that legacy has had more impact on the world than any other person in history. He left a legacy of loving God completely and sacrificially loving us. So we're going to talk about what's the most important thing in life and how we can leave a legacy. We have to first look to Jesus. Like, he sacrificially loved God, and he sacrificially loved us. So historians tell us that there were two plagues that swept through the Roman Empire while Christians were being horribly persecuted. Uh, the Antonine Plague was the first. Uh, it was a little more than a century past the life of Jesus. And the Cyprian Plague came along a century after that. So one document says that in Rome, where about a million people were living at the time, as many as 5,000 people per day were dying. So many people died that like bodies were just rotting in the streets. Right? Disease and filth was just everywhere. We thought COVID was bad, right? People, of course, like were filled with terror. Uh, it was so bad that when someone started showing any symptoms, like people would just move out like, and leave the sick behind because there was no cure. There was no hope. They, they would just leave like family members who had gotten sick, leave them in their beds and just run for their lives. But interestingly, the Christians didn't run. They stayed. They brought water to the sick. They fed them. They changed their bandages. They showed them love. They shared Christ with them. And they got sick in the process. Um, no one knows how many of these dying people were led to Christ during their final hours because Christians stayed and served them. No one knows how many Christians lost their lives because they stayed behind. But they demonstrated sacrificial love for sure, and they left a legacy that changed the world's view of Christianity. Um, I would venture to say that you and I in part, are followers of Jesus Christ because those Christians and Christians like them uh, saw in the midst of overwhelming darkness their opportunity to shine. 
Remember those, those bumper stickers and those bracelets um, that said, what would Jesus do? I'm sure Jesus wouldn't have left those people to fend for themselves. Uh, Jesus would have stayed. Jesus would have healed. Jesus would have shown love. So those Christ followers did what Jesus would have done. Uh, and people the world over were just stunned at the difference love made. Uh, the way these people acted, it was as different as light is from darkness. And I want to say this morning that this is where the church is at their best. Um, people can't ignore the actions of people who love Christ so much, who love people so much that they're willing to sacrifice their lives in service to Christ. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation from sin, um, to a people who have seen Christian love in action, the lost will be saved. We can't bully people into the kingdom of God. We can't legislate a nation into following Jesus Christ. But we can love them. We can shine the light of Christ upon them. We can shine his words. We can shine his actions. Um, the church that decides to use its resources, its time, its money, its arms, its hands, to sacrificially love its community, um, when, when they do that, they discover that they end up having more influence than any person or any group in political power. And the person who loves well will leave a legacy that lasts because they are continuing the legacy that Jesus began of love-filled action that leads to salvation. So there's a similar story in the Bible where another expert in the law uh, tested Jesus with the question of eternal life. It's in Luke 10, 25 through 29. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Then the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to tell him the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm sure that when he told him, if you're familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan, I'm sure you know um, that he probably made them cringe. Right? When, when with the thought of, crossing racial lines to show love to people that they would consider their worst enemies. 
right? We don't, we don't realize today like how scandalous like this parable is. We don't realize how scandalous like what he's asking them to do is. Like a modern day equivalent might be Jesus telling us to show sacrificial love to a radical Muslim. Or Jesus telling us to show radical uh, sacrificial love to a person on the complete opposite end of the political spectrum. Or maybe, maybe you've been a good Christian like all or most of your life. Like you have good Christian friends. And then you encounter a very worldly person, right? They swear, they drink, maybe they're a recovering addict, maybe they're still an addict. Turns out that even these people are our neighbors. And he calls us to show them sacrificial love. Now, Jesus loved his neighbors perfectly. Right? He was constantly criticized for befriending sinners. Right? Sometimes it was a prostitute. Sometimes it was a tax collector. Jesus loved them all. He didn't even hate those who nailed him to the cross. Right? Instead, he chose, in the midst of excruciating pain... To ask God to forgive the people, the very people who were crucifying him. And he loves us. He loves us so much that while we were still in our sin, he died for us so that we could be reconciled to God. Over the years, I performed and attended many funerals. Um, and I've been privileged to observe families and friends gather to talk about um, their deceased loved ones. And here's what I've seen. They almost never talk about the deceased loved one's work or their money. They don't talk about how successful they might have been. Instead, they talk about how the deceased person loved. They tell stories of parents reading to their kids or stopping what they're doing to play with their kids. They tell of vacations spent together. They tell of games played together. They talk about the sacrifices they made. Uh, they talk about their faithfulness. Faithfulness to their family, faithfulness to God. They talk about the times when that person was very present, when they offered a listening ear or words of encouragement. Uh, they talk about how they were there for them in a crisis, how they cared for them during difficult times. They talk about how they invested in their lives. They talk about how they influenced them for Jesus. How they either led them to Christ or discipled them or mentored them. 
oftentimes we think of leaving a legacy, and we think about it in terms of money or property or a business that's left to the next generation. Um, Those are important, but even more important than that is leaving a spiritual legacy. I think most of you are familiar with the book of Timothy in the New Testament. Um, It's a letter written by Paul to Timothy. And Paul, of course, traveled extensively to share the good news of Jesus with people. Um, He planted churches, and he continued to encourage the leaders of those churches. Paul was Timothy's mentor, and we see that Paul in, in... the book of Timothy, we see that Paul is writing to encourage Timothy in his work. So I want to read to you uh, 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 5. It says this. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So while Timothy is Paul's student... Um, Timothy didn't learn the faith from Paul. We see that here. Uh, We see that Timothy's faith was from his grandmother Lois and from his mother Eunice. So Timothy's mom and grandmother were faithful followers of Jesus, right, who knew the value of leaving a spiritual legacy. Uh, We don't know much about Lois, but we know about Eunice. Uh, We learn it from Acts 16.1, which says this, Paul went first to Derbe and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. We also know that his mother most likely taught him uh, the scriptures as a child. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So after this, Paul recruits Timothy to join him on his missionary journeys. Uh, Timothy served as Paul's representative to several other churches, and later he would pastor uh, in Ephesus. And all of this was possible because of legacy. Legacy. Timothy's mother had invested in him at an early age, and then Paul came along and invested in him later on. Both were able to leave a spiritual impact on this young man, Timothy, 
that ended up having an eternal impact on the lives of millions of Christians extending all the way to today. Right? It's like a pebble thrown in a pond with ripples that just move out throughout the generations. Such can be the impact of our spiritual legacy. So towards the end of this letter, Paul commissions Timothy to succeed him in preaching the good news about the kingdom of God. And here's what he says. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. So he's encouraging Timothy to begin to build his own legacy by investing for the long term. All right, and then Paul confirms that he has done this himself. Right, that he can look back over his life, he can look back over his ministry, and he can see the legacy that he has left. Right? Here's what Paul says. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So it is important to begin building our spiritual legacy today by investing in others spiritually and by investing in God's kingdom. Um, you, can call it, you can call it investing in the next generation. You can call it discipling. You can call it mentoring. You can call it coaching. But it is essentially investing in others spiritually and investing in God's kingdom. I mean, this is all throughout the Bible. I'm just going to like fire through several. Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples. Acts 1, 8. You will be my witnesses. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Acts 5.42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. John 15.8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. John 15.16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And then 2 Timothy 2.2, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Like, another way to look at this 
is passing on the baton. Right? I already mentioned how Paul invested into Timothy. Here are a few other examples. So Moses invested into Joshua, right, preparing him to lead the Jews into the promised land. Elijah invested into Elisha, right, preparing him to be a successor as a prophet. Then there's Jesus. Okay? Jesus not only invested in Peter, right, preparing him to become the rock of the church, right, but actually Jesus' entire ministry was spent passing the baton. Right? He devoted three and a half years to this task. Right? Jesus spent time with the 12. He taught them. He modeled for them what it looked like to love God and to love people. Right? He gave them instruction, and he sent them out to practice. Right? They got some things right. They messed some things up. They come back. They got questions. Like Jesus was all about on-the-job training. This had to be important if Jesus spent his whole ministry doing this. This had to be important if Jesus' last instructions were for his disciples to do this. This had to be important if Paul spent his life, if he risked his life doing this. Doing what? Passing the baton. Investing in others spiritually and investing in God's kingdom. So what does that mean practically? Well, one, if you are a parent or a grandparent and those kids are still living at home, right, you can still work to be a godly influence on them, like Lois and Eunice were to Timothy. If your kids are grown or you don't have any kids, right? Then you can influence others for the kingdom, right? Find someone to invest in spiritually, right? Find your Timothy or find several Timothys. Every follower of Jesus should be investing in people. Um, I preach, I teach, I lead, but as long as I have been in ministry, um, I have had people that I've been mentoring. Usually people who've felt like they have a call on their life to be pastors. But I've always had people that I was meeting with, with a regular rhythm, sometimes twice a month, sometimes once a month, but meeting with them to encourage them to pour into them, to pray for them. Because I feel this is what we should do, and not just pastors, but every follower of Jesus Christ needs to be asking the Lord, who should I be investing in? It's core to our faith. So who should you invest in? It may be someone at Life Church, or it may not. Doesn't have to be. Uh, might be a coworker, might be a friend, maybe someone you know in the community. They don't even have to be a believer. 
Um, but it's just making the commitment to meet with them, encourage them, pray for them. I mean, if you, if you both feel led, you can read through a book or a book of the Bible, discuss it. But the, the idea is to pass the baton. The idea is to invest into the next generation. The idea is to make disciples, not of us, but of Jesus, right? And everybody's at a different place in their journey. Sometimes you're, you're meeting with people who, don't, who haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus. Sometimes you're meeting with people who are young in their faith. Uh, sometimes you're meeting with people who are like been with, walking with the Lord a long time. And now they're like, what do I do now? I think a lot of times we feel like we don't have anything to offer. I mean, many times I feel like, I, I, what do I have to offer? But that's where dependency on the Holy Spirit comes in. Like, Lord, show me, show me how I can encourage this person today. Show me how I can pray for them. So secondly, um, if what is most important in life is leaving a legacy of loving God and loving people sacrificially, then how is the Holy Spirit this morning speaking to you on that? Remember the, those Christians I, I talked about who were ministering during the plagues? Um, remember when I mentioned the parable of the Good Samaritan and how Jesus calls us to love even our worst enemies? Remember what people tend to focus on at the funerals of their loved ones? How the person demonstrated sacrificial love? How the person invested in people? How the person lived a life for Jesus? What kind of legacy will you leave? That is my question to you this morning. We don't know how much time we have left. If you are hearing this message, it is not too late. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for modeling what it looks like to love sacrificially, to invest in people and to leave a spiritual legacy. Thank you that you showed us that the kingdom way is the way of love and sacrifice and forgiveness and mercy and grace. Lord, your word says in Romans 5 that at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And that God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, thank you for your sacrificial love for us. Lord, may you empower us by your spirit to be able to leave a legacy a spiritual legacy, a kingdom legacy that outlives us. Uh, 
Lord Jesus, just like Paul did with Timothy, just like Moses did with Joshua, just like you did with the disciples, may we pass the baton well. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.